0: Welcome, and thank you for listening to the Bellevue Sermon Podcast. Today's message comes to you from the pulpit of Bellevue Baptist Church in Gadsden, Alabama, through our Sunday morning preaching ministry. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you, and that the Lord would use it for His glory. Amen. Go ahead and be turning to the book of Acts, chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 8 through 12. Again, that is Acts, chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. Last week, we discussed sola fide, Saw that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And from the beginning of this series, we have seen that salvation is totally of grace, that salvation is received by faith. But not just faith, faith in someone specific, faith in Christ. We established last week that general faith or spirituality doesn't save, and yet so often that is the language we hear from the world around us. I'm a man or a woman of faith. Faith that saves As we saw last week, is a total reliance on Christ as Lord in every area of our life. It's a recognition that our only hope is Christ's work on the cross. And so today we will be discussing the concept of solus Christus, that salvation is in Christ alone. As we sang this morning, in Christ alone is where our hope is found. The issue is that again, as we've seen over the last few weeks, so many will claim this, many will sing this, many will say this, and yet their hope is not totally in Christ, but rather some in Christ and some in something else. Listen, diversifying is good in some cases, but it is bad when it comes to salvation. There's no hope in anything but total reliance on Christ. So the famous catechism question asks, and as we sang this morning, what is our only hope in life and death? It's that we're not our own, but we belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our only hope. And this is something that the early church knew well. The disciples, especially Peter, knew that their only hope was in Christ. Peter had tried to do it in his own strength, and he had failed spectacularly. We saw that in the end of the Gospel of John. We saw Peter's failures. We saw his restoration at the hands of Christ. And after Jesus ascended, Peter had seen the power of the Holy Spirit. He preached on the day of Pentecost, and many were saved. We think about that day as this day again of this great outpouring of the Spirit, a day in which many were saved in this miraculous manner. But what was the message that was preached that day? Acts two thirty-six tells us, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter's point in his sermon that day was that the hope of the people is not in the law, it is in Christ. What we see is that after preaching this bold message that you are to leave behind this old way and you are to put your hope and faith in Christ, many people believe. And the church grows exponentially. It explodes in this rapid sort of growth. The next story we see in Acts Immediately following this is that Peter and John are going to the temple to preach. And they encounter this lame beggar begging for money in Acts chapter 3. But in Acts 3.6, Peter says to him, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And this beggar does. The people outside the temple are amazed. Why? Why? Well, this formerly lame man is healed. He's praising God. He's, you know, again, shouting with praise and adoration for the Lord. And what happens is as this crowd gathers and is amazed, Peter begins to preach. And Peter once again explains clearly that salvation is in Christ alone. Peter preaches that it is through faith in Christ. Peter tells him, believe in Christ, repent, turn back from your sins. And the priests, though, they hear this commotion. And they see that people are proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. People have heard the gospel and now they're telling the gospel and preaching the gospel to each other. And the the priests are all in a tizzy because we see this commotion happening outside the temple. And so they do what they do. And they have Peter and John arrested. The next day, they are brought before the Jewish court. They're asked by Annas and Caiaphas, In what name did you do this miracle? And the answer is our text today. So if you will, if you're physically able, please stand in honor and reverence for the reading of God's holy word. Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. Peter and John are asked, In what name do you do this? This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we come before you again today, and Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this time of worship that we've had. Lord, we thank you for the ability to confess our beliefs to you. And Lord, now as we come to this time where we look into your word and we are examining this massive doctrine, that our salvation is in Christ alone. Lord, we pray that you would truly open our eyes and our ears, our hearts and our minds, that we may see, hear, and know exactly which you would have for us to see, here and know today. Lord, we pray that you would convict us, you would encourage us, you would uplift us, you would strengthen us. Lord, you would educate us more of your grace and mercy, that we may walk more closely with you, and that we may worship you all the more. Father, we pray that you would proclaim your message to your people today. Move me out of the way. Use me as a mouthpiece, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this text that we have read has clearly spoken that salvation is in Christ alone. Verse 12 is you know about as obvious as it can get. There is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so we see that this doctrine is clear. Now Many of you are likely thinking, we are at a Christian church. Christ is the whole point. And to that, we must agree, right? Solus Christus is obvious. I respond, you are absolutely correct. Christ is the whole point. But just as we saw last week in our discussion of faith alone, there have been people and movements and churches that have fallen into false doctrine even on the issue of Christ alone. As with each of the weeks when we deal with the solas, I want to point us back to the Reformation and and when this was going on. You see, Solus Christus was a doctrine that was championed by the Reformers. Again, because they were dealing with a church, the Roman Catholic Church that preached a gospel of salvation that was not in Christ alone. Now, we've already discussed the fact that they responded, again, to their belief that salvation was by grace alone. Um, And we've responded to the fact that, uh, again... Salvation is in faith alone. But we saw that through all of this, the reformers were responding to a church that believed it was also in works, that also didn't see Scripture as the highest authority, that said, hey, it's not all of grace because you're not that bad anyway. And we keep going through this, and it goes even deeper to the point that today what we see is that Solus Christus, it responded to the Roman Catholic idea of something called the treasury of merit or the storehouse of grace. You see, the Catholic Church believed that salvation wasn't just possible through the atonement of Christ. Because what Christ was doing on the cross is not bearing the wrath and punishment we deserve. No, they say that what that is is an amazingly good deed. And that amazingly good deed earned up a ton of goodwill and grace in heaven that's stored up. And when someone went to the Catholic Church, the Pope or the priest could give them some of that grace that was stored up in heaven, And the problem begins to come in here even more when we realize that Jesus wasn't the only one who contributed grace to that heavenly storehouse. But rather, Mary contributed. The saints contributed. And so what happens here is that salvation is not only possible through Christ, but it's also possible through people like Mary and the saints. And so instead of going to Christ, Catholics are taught that there are multiple mediators between man and God. Pray to Mary, pray to the saints, confess to your priests, listen to the Pope. Why? Because in all of these, right, in their view, all of these are capable of giving you grace and even covering your sins. This flies in the face of the biblical teaching as we see today, and yet another reason why I would regard the Catholic Church as a false church. They say there are multiple mediators, but what does Scripture say? 1 Timothy 2, chapter 2, verse 5 says, There is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. This is what Luther and Calvin and the other reformers were hammering home. Our hope is not in the institutions and the hierarchies and the inventions of some church. No, our hope is in Christ alone. Christ did not die to earn a bunch of good grace in heaven. No, he bought us on the cross By bearing every last drop of the wrath of God and taking every last bit of the punishment we deserve for our sins, He purchased us with His body and His blood. This is what we believe here at Bellevue, and and this is a part of our church. At the core, listen to our church's own statement of faith. It says, We believe that salvation is holy of grace through faith, procured in no part by any works or merit of the creature, but solely by the atonement and righteousness of Christ. In other words, Christ alone. Right, this is the message of Scripture. It's the example of the true church in history, and it's our church's deeply held belief. It's been this way from the very beginning. Scripture tells us, again, Christ alone. The early church and the reformers, they tell us Christ alone. And here, even today, we see the true believers hold that it is in Christ alone. There can be no disagreements. There can be no agreeing to disagree. Salvation is of Christ alone, and if you don't believe that, then you're not truly a believer. But what does this doctrine mean? How does it show up in our daily lives? Well, I believe that Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 12, presents a clear picture of what happens when people believe Solus Christus. And so, what I want us to see are three clear implications of Solus Christus from Acts 4, verses 8 through 12. The first one is that the purpose of ministry is Christ alone. The purpose of ministry is Christ alone. When we find Peter and John here, we find them in a moment of incredible boldness. They are boldly proclaiming Christ to this Jewish court. But the act that got them into court in the first place was what? Boldly proclaiming Christ. See, they preached to the lame beggar and they preached to everyone who was there. The miracle that day was to validate them as apostles and to allow them to preach Christ to the people. And when they got the opportunity, we have already shown that Peter preached the gospel of Christ. But now that boldness is even more fully on display as they are preaching to the very court, the very people that put Christ to death. Now here we are not talking about the Jews generally. But again, the very court that sent Jesus to Pilate and demanded his crucifixion. Annas and Caiaphas. And so Peter and John are arrested and they're now on trial before the highest Jewish authorities, the one that had sent Jesus to be crucified. And yet we see that Peter and John don't flinch. They don't back down. They don't move on. No, they say, let it be known to you, let it be known to all of Israel, that what we are doing, we are doing in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and God raised from the dead. Peter's making it clear. What we do, our ministry, is done in the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified. You see, the very crucifixion that the court ordered was the crucifixion that would save. The very crucifixion that they called on Pilate to perform is the crucifixion where God poured out the punishment and wrath we deserved on his perfect son so that we might be saved. And so, what Peter says is that what we are doing, that is what we're doing. And he goes on to say, not (laughs) we're going to stop. Hey, we're going to preach even harder now. What happens next? Well, in verses 18 through 31, we're told what proceeds. Verse 18, the court calls Peter and John back before them, and they charge them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Verse 19, it says, But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. When they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. What happened is that they prayed for opportunity to continue to preach boldly. They acknowledged, hey, God is sovereign. And they say, God, we realize that you are in charge and you have a predestined plan. And we trust in that and we ask that you let us preach the gospel of Christ. And they did. They continued to speak the word of God with boldness, the text says. How did they do this? Why did they do this? Because as we will continue to see, they believe that Jesus was the focal point of everything. If the gospel rests on Jesus, then everything rests on Jesus. So the ministry that they're carrying out, the purpose of what Peter and John were doing was to preach Christ alone. The purpose of our ministry individually and as a church is to preach Christ alone with boldness. Every individual is called to the evangelism ministry. We're all commissioned to share the gospel of Christ alone. A church is not a true church if it does not preach the gospel of Christ alone. And sadly, there are too many that fit that category. Again, we go back to the Reformation and the ministry of the Catholic Church was a prime example. It became a Christianity without Christ. The church was a well-oiled machine that was more about organization than worship. It had all these things you needed to do, but no real emphasis on Christ as the means of salvation. In fact, if you attended a Catholic church during the Reformation, you wouldn't hear Christ preached. You'd be told to do the things, and even if you did hear preaching, you wouldn't be able to understand it because it was all in Latin. You don't need to understand. You don't need to know. You just need to do what we tell you. This is a religious ritual without Christ. Sadly... Many modern ministries are the same today with just different emphases. Right? Ministries, again, that prioritize these programs and events to the point that we forsake Christ alone to the benefit of such program-driven ministries. I'll give you some examples. We hear things like, oh, if we can just get our kids to go to this thing or that thing, they will be saved. You ever heard that? Oh, if we can just get the, get the young people to do this, then they'll be saved. We have a generation of people who say, we raised our kids in church. Why did they not believe? Why did they abandon the church? And the answer is that so many times, the church did not preach the gospel of Christ, and instead they said, hey, come do these things, come join the social club, come watch this performance, come eat pizza, and they never actually preached the gospel of Christ. You see, the church taught a reliance on programs rather than a reliance on Christ. The church said this is how you build your life around attending events and not this is how you build your life around Christ. And even though they are radically different, it's one of the same core problems that the Catholic church had in Luther's day. See, this type of ministry is a stationary bike, right, or an elliptical or a treadmill or whatever you want to put in there. There's a lot of movement, but we're not going anywhere. Our church and our individual evangelism is worthless if we will not boldly proclaim the gospel of Christ alone. If we don't boldly proclaim, hey, the only way we can be saved is that Christ took our punishment on the cross. That Christ bore every last drop of God's wrath on sin for those whom he saves. Like, If we don't do that, we have failed. That is our only hope in life and death. Not all of this other stuff. And this is why our ministry here at Bellevue must feature the preaching of the gospel of Christ because nothing else can save. Peter and John boldly preached, no matter the audience. They told the people who put Jesus to death, hey, you need to repent and believe in Christ. They preached to anyone who'd listen. And yet what happens so often, again, is that we will rejoice to have so many people come to an event. We had a thousand people come to our outreach event. Well, did we share the gospel? The answer is no, it wasn't an outreach event. We need to get it through our head that the purpose of our ministry is to boldly preach the gospel of Christ alone and to teach people how to live that out, how to build their life around Christ. This was the emphasis of Peter and John's ministry. And this is what a ministry built on Solus Christus looks like. But we also see a second principle of Solus Christus here. We see this in verse 11. We see that the cornerstone of all things, the purpose of ministry, is Christ alone. Christ is literally the foundation of all things. Everything is built around Christ. Romans 11 verse 36, which we'll talk about some next week, says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. The introduction to John's gospel tells us that Christ created all things and that everything was made by him. It's all built around Christ. You see, the universe was created by him to praise him, to bring him glory forever. And Paul, uh, Peter, rather, in our passage here today, addresses this in a very clear way. Peter uses an object lesson from a passage of Scripture from the Psalms that Christ fulfilled. In Psalm 118, verse 22, we read, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And here in verse 11, we see that same thing. We see here, though, that Jesus is identified. As that stone. He is the stone that is rejected. By the Jews. And he is the cornerstone. Here Peter says again that. And he says that. Christ is the cornerstone. Now Christians use this reference to Christ as the cornerstone. Time and time again. But I think many of us don't truly understand the beauty of what it means. You see, the cornerstone is the first stone laid in a brick building. It's significant because every other stone or brick is placed in reference to that stone. Everything is oriented around that stone. In other words, the building's design, its structural integrity and its position are all tied up in the cornerstone. Now, over time, it became a ceremonial thing, right? Like at the courthouse in my hometown, there was a ceremonial cornerstone that had a time capsule in it, right? That's not what we're talking about here. Peter's referring to the actual thing. The illustration here is the actual stone. And so when Peter is saying this, he has in mind that Christ is literally the foundation and stability. He is the thing around which everything else is oriented, For us, we need to realize that Christ is the foundation and the only source of stability for the church and the entire universe. Everything is laid down in reference to him. Listen to how the scripture talks about the universe again being created in reference to Christ. Colossians 1, 16-17. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Everything is oriented around Christ. And in Acts chapter 17 verse 28, it says that in Him we live and move and have our being. So universally speaking, the universe and all that is in it was created by him and for him. It's only through him that we have life. But this idea of Christ as cornerstone has massive implications for us, and again, the way that we go about our life. Peter was diligent to connect Christ's status as the cornerstone to salvation. Peter wanted the court that day and everyone who read his writings to know that salvation is only available through Christ. And Peter goes back to this point. For those not built on the cornerstone of Christ, we see that he is a stumbling block. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. It says, So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And Jesus says this himself in Matthew 21, 42. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Peter's point here is, listen, if you reject Christ, you've rejected the cornerstone, and it is a stumbling block. With Christ as cornerstone, everything is in proper orientation. But if we reject Christ, we fall flat on our face. Our lives are to be built around Christ. We lay down our life in reference. We build our life in reference to Christ because our position should be determined by Him in everything. Now we read in Scripture that uh, we are a peculiar people. And it's true. Many of us are strange But the point is that we are to be strange to the world. I've shared this time and again. When the world looks at the life of a believer, they realize that there is something different there. You see, those that stumble, those that have not had Christ as the cornerstone of their life, those are the ones who disobey His word, Scripture says. Those that have Christ as cornerstone of their life by God's grace are people whose entire being is oriented around Christ and His Word. And what we see is that a building with sense built into it, and this is something that Bellevue ought to be able to understand here very well. A building that is poorly designed has problems that last, and it shows up. Can I get a witness? All right, now, a building with a proper... Design shows up. And you can put the two side by side and you can tell the difference. You can tell a building that is designed rightly and soundly and stable. And you can tell a building that is designed all out of alignment. For believers, people should look at our life and realize, hey, we look different. And the reason we look different is because our life is rightly aligned with God's word. You see, if Christ is the cornerstone of our life, it doesn't take much for us to begin to flesh that out and see what it looks like. The Christian lives look different because Christian priorities are different. Well, why don't we do the same sinful things that other people do? Because Christ is our cornerstone and our life is oriented around Him. Our our, everything. Our marriages look different. right? We actually believe there are specific gender roles in the family. That Christian marriages are to consist of wives who submit to husbands and husbands who love their wives in the deepest way possible in reflection of what Christ has done. But what's the justification? Is that a belief that, that, that Christians have just pulled out of thin air over the years? No. The justification is Ephesians five, twenty two through thirty three that says that marriages do that because they are a reflection of Christ. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, listen to the way it talks about this. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself a savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. What's the point here? Because Christ is the central point of everything we do as a believer, it impacts everything. And here we see a case study of that in marriage. People say, oh, those Christians have backward marriages that just want to promote oppression. No, we want marriages that are built around the Lord and his word. If we build around secular theories and pop culture and what the media says, then we're not keeping Christ as a cornerstone. And we can take this to every single area. What about the church? Colossians 1.18 tells us that Christ is the head of the church. So how's the church to function? It's to function according to his desires, his word. It's not to function according to our wiles and our preferences and our desires and theories about what'll work. You see, if we build our churches on anything other than Christ as the cornerstone, we are failing. And we don't truly believe that salvation is in Christ alone. The point here is this. If we believe that salvation is only possible through Christ alone, that has impact that travels well beyond just salvation. And rather, it affects every area of our life because we realize that for a believer, the entirety of our life should be built around Christ. If he purchased us, then he owns us. We are not our own. We were bought with a price. Scripture tells us. A life that believes solus Christus is a life that has Christ as the cornerstone. But this brings us to our final point. That is, again, that salvation is found in Christ alone. You say, well, that's the whole point, right, of this sermon? Absolutely, right? But we have to take the text as it comes. What is Peter's justification for preaching Christ at every turn? What's his justification for Christ as cornerstone? It's verse 12. That there is salvation in no one else. The reason that he has a ministry that is predicated on this. Is because there is salvation in no one else. The reason that Christ is the cornerstone of their life is because there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter is emphatic here. And what this does is it begins to rule out a whole bunch of bad beliefs that people hold. It kills universalism. You can't say, oh, well, everybody's going to be saved in the end. No, it tells us here that there is salvation in no one else. It has to be in Christ. It kills pluralism. Pluralism is that thing that says, well, you know, all paths lead to God. Right? They might worship Krishna or Muhammad or Buddha, but they're all just the same thing with different names. No, this actually says very clearly. First of all, it's blatantly false that they're all the same. But second of all, there is no other name by which we must be saved. We must be saved by Christ or we're not saved at all. And this is where some Christians want to get squishy or weak, but we cannot afford to be weak here. You might say, well, it's one thing to say no Muslims are saved, but earlier you're talking about Catholics. Because yes, the point is the same. It doesn't matter if the name is Muhammad or Mary. If your hope is even a little bit in something other than Christ, we are not saved. Even if they claim the name of Jesus, but really believe something totally unbiblical about Him, like the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses, is, "Oh, we believe the same God. No, you don't. You see, we have to put all of our belief in the Christ of the Bible. Love the words of Spurgeon on this matter when he was preaching this text. It it is not written, he that believes on Jesus nine parts out of ten, and on himself the other tenth. No, it's whoever believes in him, on him alone. Jesus will never be a part savior. We must not rest in part upon what we hope to do in the future, nor in part upon the efficacy of an outward ceremony. No, the faith must be on him. If you put one atom of trust in yourself, you have no faith. If you put even a particle of reliance on anything else but what Christ did, you have no faith. If you trust in your works, then your works are anti Christ, and Christ and Antichrist can never go together. Christ will have all or nothing. He must be a whole Savior or no Savior at all. You see, our hope is either in the finished work of Christ on the cross, or it's in anything else. And if it's in anything else, it is a false hope. And so, the question that we're left to ask is Have I put any hope in anything other than Christ? In our lives, we are to go before the Lord and ask Him, Root out any evil in me. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, root this out. No one else, nothing else can save. Being a good person, being a member of this church, going through the motions, taking the Lord's Supper, being baptized, none of that makes you a believer. The only way we are saved is by the work of Christ. I've been hammering this home that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone over the last few weeks. The grace is that God planned before the foundation of the world to save us by sending Christ to die on the cross. The grace is that God gives us with faith. That faith, again, is not only saving faith. I mean, sorry, the faith, again, is only saving faith if it's faith in Christ. And so what happens here is that Christ is the linchpin in all of it. What does Scripture talk about? It talks about Christ. What is the grace? That God would send Christ and that he would give us faith to believe in Christ. What is the faith in? It's in Christ. We give him glory for what Christ has done. It is Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection that secures for us salvation. Because it alone satisfied the requirement of the law. And it satisfied God's wrath as he poured out his wrath for wickedness and evil. And his punishment for sin on Christ for those who believe. Martin Luther said, our sin is either on our shoulders or it's on Christ's shoulders. I come pleading with you today. If you are here and you have been only putting partial trust in Christ, or if you're here and you have been putting your trust in something else or someone else, hear me when I say that no one else and nothing else can save. But if you want salvation and peace and purpose... The only person who can give that is Christ. The only way for us to truly have a rightly ordered life is to be saved by Christ and for him to be the cornerstone of everything we do. But If you're here and you have believed in Christ and you're following him, go all in. Realize that he is the cornerstone of your life, not you. Orient your life around him and not your desires and proclaim the message of Christ at every moment opportunity. Our salvation is in Christ alone. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father God, we come before you now and Lord we thank you so much for your word. Lord, the truthfulness of it. Your grace and mercy to us. Father, we pray that there's someone here today who has not believed in christ lord you would call them to yourself father and for those who are believers we pray again that you would remind them of the majesty and the amazingness of the work of christ lord remind us of its sufficiency that it has the ability to remove our sins as far from us as the east is from the west lord through the work of christ you have brought us back to yourself you've made us alive help us never to take it for granted. Lord, rather, help us to go all in. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bellevue Baptist Gadsden Podcast. We would love for you to join us on campus for worship Sunday mornings at 1045. We look forward to seeing you. Have a great week.